Welcome to Verde's Folding Chair, a bi-weekly podcast about making space at the table for Black, women, and independent writers. Verde's Folding Chair is about making space for our voices, existence, and lived experiences. Zora Neale Hurston said, if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. This podcast is the opposite of being silent. Come on and bring your folding chairs and pull up at the table. I promise to make space for you, Rainbow Peeps and Friends. Before I jump into my first segment of this show, I have to talk about Brittany Griner, of course. Brittany Griner has been wrongfully detained in a Russian prison for 146 days now. President Biden and Madam Vice President Harris finally met with her wife, Sherelle Griner, after 139 days of her being detained. Now all we have to do is keep writing those letters to our elected officials regarding um, her detainment, writing to the president and the vice president, sharing a petition for, uh, for others to sign it on social media, share a post about Brittany Griner on your social media pages, and continue the momentum of making sure she is returned to the United States safely. We have to keep talking about her. We have to keep speaking her name. And we have to keep forcing the Biden administration to not only say they're working to get her home, but to get the deal done to bring her home. It's been far too long. We are on day 146, people. We finally reached over 300,000 signatures after BG's wife met with the president. Um, Yay. We should have millions of signatures by now. Free BG. Free Brittany Griner. Now. Black women. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Malcolm X. Black women. As always, my first segment of the show is dedicated to black women. Black women are a reflection of God. Black women are beautiful. Black women are talented. Black women are creative. Black women are determined. Black women are powerful and dangerous. Black women deserve better. On today's segment dedicated to black women, I am proud to introduce my very first guest to Verde's Folding Chair. She is a beautiful, energetic spirit, a brilliant mind, a liberation attorney, a change agent, a justice warrior, and Pam's daughter. This black queen is also adjunct professor at McGeorge School of Law, where she teaches a class on race, mass incarceration, and criminal justice reform. She is also the founder of a justice instrument, a California nonprofit, She currently works at United Way of Sacramento as their Chief Counsel of Public Policy and Advocacy. And she is someone you should know. 
Rainbow peeps and friends, let's move over and make some space at the table for Carmen Nicole Cox, Esquire. Welcome to the show, Carmen. Thank you for taking the time to bless the podcast with your amazing presence. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks so much for making me your first guest. I'm honored and much love for the introduction. I appreciate all of that. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our first question. Okay. What does it mean to be Pam's daughter? I saw that on your social media page, a justice instrument. Um, and uh, I would like to know. Well, Pam has four children. And so I'll just talk about what it means to me to be Pam's daughter. To me, it's about um, continuing a legacy. My mom, Pamela Louise Foster, may she rest in peace, was pretty amazing. She was an entrepreneurial spirit. So all of those things you just described about Black women absolutely apply to my mom. Um, she was vibrant, creative, determined. She was a businesswoman. And everything she did, whether it was running her own business or producing fashion shows or being a notary public, it was really all about creating space for people to feel whole and healthy and included, seen, I think. So that's what it means for me. It means working really hard um, to create spaces for people. That's awesome. Um, as someone who knows or you know, knew Miss Pam, uh, I'd have to agree with all that. As a matter of fact, um, I would like to say that once she realized you had a talent or a gift, she was on you. She was like, oh, we need to, <laughs> we need to make some money on that. So um, shout out to Miss Pam for um, also encouraging me to keep going with my craft. And um, I think she would be really proud of me right now today. Absolutely. All right, Carmen. So as I mentioned in your introduction, you are a liberation attorney, a, a liberation attorney. Tell me what that means. That is a phrase that I coined while I was working uh, in probably a more traditional liberation space, which was working to bring people home from California state prison who are over incarcerated. But it is really based in the living condition that should be liberation, right? And so mm -hmm. when I think about liberation, I think about the freedom to make your own decisions, freedom from oppression, the ability to exercise your own agency, um, and even to make decisions that others might not make for themselves or even for you. Um, I think that liberation is the opportunity to, without punishment, demand respect for your human dignity. And I think it's the freedom to show up authentically. So as a liberation attorney, I am utilizing my talents and my network to help people achieve that living condition. Um, and so sometimes that means filing court cases or offering pro bono services, working hard to change laws. Sometimes it's bringing folks together, power brokers and shareholders, 
think if I had to sum it all up, being a liberation attorney is really about this idea that knowledge is power. And mm-hmm. so I just want to acquire knowledge, disseminate knowledge, and empower people um, once they have the information to activate their own agency. Okay. Um, what is the work that you do as a change agent and a justice warrior? That is a great question. Um, I want to be brief, which is really difficult for me just generally. But um, so I think about, again, just the term, this idea of justice and what it means. And to me, right right now, I'm doing more work around racial equity. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you learn in doing racial equity work, and I would imagine any equity work, is you're trying to distinguish the difference between our current, like the status quo, which is inequality and inequity in way too many places, then trying to get to a point of equity, which is where you give people what they need. You acknowledge the um, marginalization and the oppression and the discrimination and the racism. So you give people what they need, acknowledging that we don't all start with the same opportunities in the first place. So as a justice warrior, what I'm trying to do is help people to understand that, to both see the inequity, but then also to activate in order to remove the barriers, right? So that instead of having to give people more or less based on their historic oppression, instead we're removing barriers for everybody, right? So for me, that that's being a justice warrior, being a change agent. It's not just what I'm doing. It's about educating other people so that they can remove barriers for themselves. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I've often heard you say that people don't truly understand the work that United Way does. Would you mind breaking down in layperson's terms exactly what United Way of Sacramento does so that we can fully understand the goal and the mission of this organization? Yes, and I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to do that. So I am um, Chief Counsel of Public Policy and Advocacy at United Way California Capital Region. In addition to serving residents of Sacramento County, we also serve residents of Amador, El Dorado, Placer, and Yolo County. And the overarching goal is poverty alleviation. And the organization attempts to alleviate poverty through, like, Three different pillars, really. There's like education, because what we know, what the evidence tells us, what history tells us, what lived experience tells us is that when you have, when you are more educated, you advance further, at least in this capitalist society that puts people into hierarchical positions. And one of the ways that we assign value to people is their level of achievement through our education system. So we know that education helps people to escape poverty. Absolutely. Uh, And then another um, sort of pillar of the work that we do is family resilience. And that's also related to education because while we are providing, um, we're getting kids ready to go off to kindergarten, right? Because we know that the sooner that they, we get them prepared, the better they perform. And not just in kindergarten, but we see performance improvements in grade three, in grade eight, we see fewer folks dropping out. 
So in addition to focusing on the kids, their academic performance, we want to focus on the health of their families and the resilience of their families because kids, as you know, don't learn in a vacuum. So if they're hungry at home, if, they've, if they're experiencing housing instability, if they're experiencing abandonment or neglect or abuse, they aren't going to perform well. And so this idea of escaping poverty through education misses the mark, right? If we if we're too narrow-minded in our focus. And so we focus on providing services for the entire family, whether that is guaranteed basic income or whether that is um, providing people opportunities to be civically engaged, to support their own community through uh, volunteer work. It's also providing people with the resources that they need just to live quite plainly in this increasingly virtual world. So we provide free laptops and computers and internet access so that families can be fully engaged in their child's education, in their own education, things like telehealth, pretty much you can't even apply for a job in person these days. You need a computer for everything. So we support families in that regard. And then we also support communities because again, babies don't learn in a vacuum. We're doing what we can to support um, organizations, including city governments, who are focusing on reducing community violence. We also have spent time going out into communities, helping folks to learn how to organize themselves, to activate their own agency so that they can achieve justice for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of work we do. All right. Sounds like United Way of Sacramento is getting it done. Trying. All right. All right, Carmen, um, you're also an adjunct professor at McGeorge School of Law, where you, uh, you teach a class on race, mass incarceration, and the criminal justice, and criminal justice reform. Um, so this class sounds pretty intense. Um, you created this class yourself, isn't that correct? Not exactly. Actually, another professor taught it for one semester. That was the first time that it was taught uh, at McGeorge School of Law. Big up to McGeorge, also my alma mater. And, um, but I've taught it for the last three years and certainly have refined it and made it my own. Okay. Um, what inspired you to create, um, not create, but what inspired you to, to teach us uh, this particular class and, and what's the goal? Uh, you know, I'll start with the goal. Honestly, the goal of the class is just to facilitate some contextualized learning. I think in law school, we read and we learn a lot of theory and it's great and it teaches you to think critically, but sometimes you miss how that law or those theories relate and impact people today. Mm -hmm. um, so this was an opportunity, this is an opportunity for me to help students who are quite plainly the future these are law form or future lawyers and mm -hmm. congresspersons and state representatives and governors, right? So it's an and, and district attorneys and other policymakers, right? And so it's an opportunity for me to help them to appreciate how the law impacts people at an individual level. And then what motivated me to teach this class in particular is that I have both professional and personal experience around the criminal justice system. In terms of my uh, professional experience, I really, my first job in policy was working for the governor of California, Governor Jerry Brown. And in that role, I 
helped him to identify individuals who needed to come home, who were incarcerated, and in some cases had been incarcerated for far too long. Mm -hmm. The other thing I helped to do was identify policies around rehabilitation. How long does it take? What does it look like? How long should we be putting people away? And what should those what should the circumstances of confinement look like? So I got to do that. Um, but even before that, while I was in law school, my second year of law school, I, in fact, I was in Chicago celebrating with my partner. It's the summertime. I remember it. It was hot. And I get a call telling me that my father had died in prison. And this was quite shocking. One, because he wasn't sentenced to die in mm -hmm. prison. That wasn't his sentence. And then two, we had literally just sent him his like come home, come home bag because he was about three weeks away from release. So I have very strong personal and professional sentiments around what the criminal justice system does to families, mm -hmm. not just the folks who are incarcerated, but their families, what it does to communities and how we get there, specifically what rules, what policies, what laws both create these circumstances and um, maintain these circumstances. And so having an opportunity to talk with students about it from a very real place, a very authentic place. Um, yeah, so that's why I do it. It's the goal of the class. It's why I will continue to teach the class, including spring 2023, <laughs> Monday evenings. I am sorry to hear about um, your father. Yeah, that was, was shitty. Tragic. Yeah, really shitty. All right, Carmen, you started a nonprofit organization called uh, Justice Instrument. Is that correct? A Justice Instrument. That's right. All right. That is a dope name, by the way. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, can you tell us what a Justice Instrument is designed to do? So the, the goal of a Justice Instrument is to give me a space mm -hmm. to really work to achieve justice. Right? And I think earlier I mentioned that I define justice as developing tools to remove and reduce barriers. A justice instrument is designed probably um, most and foremost to reduce barriers that are holding back Black people, mm -hmm. but also other people of color, marginalized folks, poor people, you know. All right. So it sounds like you're out here doing that work. Uh, what some might refer to as the Lord's work. Um, <laughs> and specifically, I do a lot of pro bono work. So I think about most recently, I've been working to support a justice warrior named Samuel Brown. Mm -hmm. This young man is the author of ACA3, which was the Assembly Constitutional Amendment that attempted to end slavery in California. Oh, Sam Brown wrote that bill while he was incarcerated in California. When the first hearings were had on the bill, he was still incarcerated. Mm. And I believe at this point, he's been out maybe 175, 180 days. And he worked this bill so hard that it moved all the way through the first house into the second house and was on its way out of the second house before it got its first no vote. Mm. So the fact that I have an opportunity to support that work um, is a blessing. And I do it under the banner of my nonprofit, a justice instrument, so that no one can say that, you know, that this is what United Way is doing, 
because I'm not doing it with my United Way hat on. I get to do it with my A Justice Instrument hat on, which is very important when you work in politics as I do. It's very important to have clear boundaries. All right. Um, so it sounds like you are a super busy black woman. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> How do you unwind? How do you unplug? How do you rejuvenate? Well, the first thing I'll say is that supporting people to and helping them to get pardons or to get out of prison on parole or to get their records expunged once they're home or to get public records from state agencies or to review contracts uh, or putting on community education fairs, the work that I do under a justice instrument is all stuff that I'm passionate about. So I'm not, I'm not bogged down by it. I don't feel burdened, mm -hmm. but there is a lot to being a black woman in this world. And so when I do need to rejuvenate, I hit the gym, shout out to CrossFit, which kills me slowly every time I go. <laughs> I also have a very supportive spouse, and that's where I find my peace, quite plainly, every day. And I'm also very into audiobooks. Y'all might want to check those out. Okay. Perhaps an audiobook called Rainbow by Verde Arzu. Don't. All right. And uh, where can people go to support your organization and, and the work that you do? You know, right now I'm not asking for any donations of any kind, but folks can certainly be supportive by amplifying the work that I do. Mostly what I'm doing right now, especially on social media, is amplifying the work of others. So people can find me at on Instagram. It's the only place I'm really hanging out these days. Carmen for Liberation. Or also on LinkedIn, Carmen Nicole Cox. And I would say, help me to help others. And so if you know of folks who are in need of the kinds of services that I offer, you should send them my way. All right. Thank you, Carmen. Build or fold. Pretend like that's uh, people in the, in a talk show audience <laughs> yelling out, build or fold. All right. Anyway, this is the question I ask. I'm going to ask every guest on Verde's folding chair. Like all challenges to tearing down oppression, there are philosophical differences on how we accomplish this goal. If there's one thing history has shown us, though, it's that there should be many paths to achieving this goal because the institution is massive and ever changing. Um, Nash, Asada, Baker and Davis. Malcolm, King, Du Bois, Booker, and Garvey, they all had the same goal but different paths. I'm bringing my folding chair to the table and making space. What about you? Are you building your own table or bringing a folding chair and why? That is an amazing question. I'll start with that. And I'll also start by saying I am very inspired watching you bring a folding chair to the table. I, I see a lot of value. I appreciate the concern that building a separate table suggests that not only are we building rules and, and developing ideas for how to achieve justice without the existing power brokers at the table, 
I, I can see how that could be problematic because then once you create them, then you, the rules, the justice, right? The ideas for justice, then you got, you still got to somehow convince those with the existing power either to get on board or you have to overthrow them. Mm. So I can see a concern or, or the hesitance around building your own table. I think I get the benefit of doing both quite plainly in my professional work. I'm definitely bringing a folding chair. I'm definitely like, y'all got to let me in the room. Mm -hmm. I believe very much that these systems, that, that we need people working from the inside. And I think for me, that's what it means sometimes, right? When you're bringing your own folding chair to the existing table, you are sort of working inside the system, even if your goal is to blow up the system, but you're working from the inside. That is absolutely what I do in my work, where I am trying to convince city, county, state level policymakers that, for example, poverty is a policy choice. And so we have to make policy changes. But I think that in my nonprofit work, the benefit of what I get to do is I get to share knowledge, bring people together, organize and activate people so that they can build new tables. Mm -hmm. And so I'm build cheating. I know I'm cheating. I'm <laughs> cheating. I'm cheating. I can't, I get to do both. And that's what's so dope about yes. being paid to build do one or thing. fold. Which one? Which one what? Which one are you going to go with? I don't want to abandon either approach because I think they both are necessary and have value. Well, rainbow peeps and friends, um, my first guest is refusing the or in the question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you have it. I want to thank you so much for joining me on Verde's folding chair. I appreciate it so much um, taking the time out to, you know, be here and answer some questions for me. I'm honored to have been your first guest. I hope I didn't screw it up <laughs> and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Readings and ruminations, my ever-growing TBR list and what I'm reading. Well, actually my TBR list hasn't changed much from the last time I spoke to y'all. I can't even lie to y'all and act like I've been reading because I haven't. Well, I have been reading. I'm always reading something, uh, quite a bit of nonfiction articles and stuff like that, but nothing that this segment is designed to discuss. <laughs> I'm supposed to be prepared to share with y'all my synopsis on Say Jesus and Come to Me by Ann Allen Shockley, but this is real life and I ain't finished it. I'm going to get on it. And I'll have it ready for the next episode, hopefully. Can any of my creatives and writers relate to this, though? Ever get into a fiction reading slump? Tell me about it in the comments, please. I know I can't be alone now. Or am I? My next segment is uh, on Becoming a writer, my writing process, a woman, and a better human being. I have a sister, 
a friend. Her name is Leah. What's up, Leah? Leah is amazing because she's loyal as fuck, and I appreciate her for that. The older I get, the more I realize that loyalty amongst people is a rarity. Am I lying? No. Leah lives in the Bahamas, Nassau to be exact, and their mailing system is a little different from from ours in a lot of ways. I don't know all the details, but one day I'm sure Leah's going to be on the show and she'll be able to explain it all. Uh, Leah has known me since 2005 when I stepped foot on the historic Fisk University's campus. If you... We connected immediately. She has known my dreams for a long time. And when my book dropped, she wasn't able to get it, although she wanted it. Um, Actually, we went through some processes trying to get it into her hands and all that, but it didn't quite work out. Life happens. I'm not going to go through all the details on that. But here it is two years later, and my sister, my friend, finally has my book. She didn't send me a private message or a text message. Nope. She posted that shit on IG and Facebook like it just dropped. This is the kind of inspiration and encouragement independent artists need sometimes. We need people who know what this shit means to us to outwardly support us. Not only did she get a copy for herself, but she got a couple copies for, excuse me, a couple copies for some other people too. Um, we all know how powerful social media is, so be sure to use it to uplift to uplift your people. I mean, if they're really your people, then uplift them, right? And support your friends, no matter what. Support your friends. Word of mouth is a tremendously powerful tool. So, on my journey to becoming, one of the things I realized that is truly important Um, is to have people around you who support you. Leah's an independent artist herself. She's an amazing creator. She's a singer. She's an actress. She's a visual artist. And she also creates um, crochet designs. So be sure to check her out on Facebook at Beatrice Leah. And you can find her on IG at Leah.Enius. That's E-N-E-A-S. Peace, y'all. This is uh, Rainbow's Corner. This is where I read my works, discuss themes, characters, plot uh, from my books, my stories, and my works in progress. Today I'm going to share with you a poem I wrote. It's called Get Your Hand out my pocket. Somebody stole my shit and then sold it back to me. I didn't realize it was mine though. Call me ugly with my big lips and wide hips. Rejection. Injection. Told me my hair was dreadful. Ghetto. Turned around and created a fashion trend. My music solicits murders till that's your solicitations beat. All fun and games till I rest on one knee. 
sleep, then pickpocketed me. Black, local, independent. You can be one, two, or even all three of these things, but you can't be none. Today, I'd like to show some love to another look, Beauty and Barber Salon. It's a Black-owned barbershop located in Sacramento on Valley High Drive. The owners of this great establishment are Tracy and Rob Brown. Another Look Beauty and Barbershop has been around in the community for over 20 years. Tracy and Rob Brown also own and operate Mixed Institute of Cosmetology and Barber. The Mixed Institute is fully accredited. Shout out to Tracy and Rob for fulfilling a need within the Sacramento community by opening a trade school and providing those seeking an opportunity to learn a professional skill that gives back to the community and creates entrepreneurs. Absolutely. If you're looking for more information on Mixed Institute, financial options, etc., you can visit the institute. I'm sorry, you can visit the website at mixed.institute or you can email them at info at mixed.institute. I've been going to another look for a few years now. Whenever I have family or friends in town, this is the spot I bring them to for their haircuts, their hair needs, all of that. I've had an undercut for a couple of years now, and I go to my barber, John, who hooks me up. I also go to Daryl, who hooks me up as well. So shout out to both John and Daryl, okay, for the amazing haircuts and also the great conversations and always leaving me with something to think about. As a black woman, I've always felt comfortable and safe in this space and I've always tr- and I've always been treated with respect, okay? Unlike the scene in uh episode 4 of Harlem that um, generated a lot of social media attention and a lot of conversations within the black community um because the main character uh Ty, she went into the black barbershop to get a haircut and uh, she was with a regular barber, but uh, a new barber came in and was completely out of line and totally disrespectful. Um, I say this to say that I've never, not to say that this kind of thing doesn't happen um, at black barbershops or it hasn't happened. I'm just saying, you don't have to worry about that kind of nonsense happening at another look. It's a total professional establishment. You're going to have some great conversations and the black men and the black women in there are treated with respect and they also treat others with respect. Um, Another look is also a beauty salon. Um, When my mom is in town, she comes here, she gets her hair done. She loves it. Uh, My wife gets her locks twisted here as well. So if you're looking for a clean and safe professional spot to get your hair cut, get your locks twisted, or get any hair hair care products, any uh, get your hair done in general, you can check out another look beauty and barber salon right here in South Sacramento. Rainbow peeps and friends, it's time for me to share my positive thought for this episode. It comes to us from Confucius. It does not matter how slowly you go, as long as you do not stop.
in this microwave society where we all feel like we're on the clock, right? We always feel like, you know, we need to be doing more faster. I'm going to repeat this quote. It does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop. It's powerful. Don't stop, Rainbow Peeps and Friends. Thanks for joining me this week on Verde's Folding Chair. You can also join me on IG at the underscore writer underscore Verde underscore Arzu. On Twitter at Verde underscore Arzu. And Facebook at the writer Verde Arzu. You can also find a copy of my book, Rainbow, a Black Queer Novella and other rainbow merch on my website at www.verdearzu.com. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, be sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe. Remember what I talked about in this episode. Share, 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 share. Tell your friends to tell their friends so we can all be friends. I appreciate you, rainbow peeps and friends. And remember, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Thanks for listening. Peace, love, and rainbows.